episode of the Divine Renovation Podcast Advent Series. I'm your host, Jacqueline Marie, and I'm joined today by DRUSA Executive Director, Kurt Clement. Welcome. Hey, Jackie. Jacqueline. <laughs> it's good to be with you. I don't know. Do you ever go by Jackie? It just came out. It's okay. That's what my family calls me. Sometimes it gets shortened to Jack, and then I have to start drawing the line because I don't know when it's going to be like, ja, and then it will be like, hey, you. Anyhow. So on today's episode, we're going to move into the second week of Advent, which is love. So last week, we talked in our episode about parish renewal through the lens of hope. And you'll want to continue to join with us as we journey through Advent together in this series as we talk with people from across DR and hear about stories of parish renewal throughout the world. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast. So, Kurt. I am so excited to speak with you as DRUSA has had a lot happening in 2022. So can you share with us a bit about what Divine Renovation has been able to be a part of in your region this year? Mm. Yeah, and I think maybe helpful little context. Um, the USA was established as a region just about a year and a half ago. Well, April 2021. I mean, before that, there were a few people who read the book and we went to a conference, but it wasn't uh, an organized region. Um, so we launched the office. I started in, in 21, but then 2022, I think, is where we really, um, really laid a great foundation. Um, it just helping people to be aware of who we are and what we do and the vision of DR to help parishes to bring, become missional. Um, a big part of the first half was um, around planning our first ever conference, a national conference, DRUSA, which, you know, in some ways served as a sort of launch conference for the region. And, and we had 600 people come. So that was definitely a highlight, the DRUSA conference, um, just the way we gathered old friends, new friends, really kind of gathered this uh, movement. Um, in one place. That was really this incredible experience. Um, and then that has really propelled then now the second half of the year has been responding to a lot of interest in the ministry. We've been working, uh, partnering, supporting the work of many dioceses who are doing great work to create a culture of renewal with their parishes. And so I would say Continue to have many connecting with new parish parish leaders, priests, many priests through Kickstart, and many that were um, continue to have conversations with following the conference that will start Kickstart in January. So, really, we're just seeing um, just a, a real growth in the movement um, in the number of parishes and dioceses and leaders that we're connecting with. So, super super thankful, super exciting. I love that you mentioned the DRUSA conference this summer because even for me, I wasn't physically there, but I was streamed in to talk with a lot of priests and parish leaders. And so many stories came out of that time. And also so many chances for that I was hearing of people connecting what was going on between parishes. So that sounded, yeah, really special. Um, what has been a key highlight 
for your team this year outside of the conference? Has there been, you know, like on a smaller scale, just moments that you guys are hearing about? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, until recently, DR has been kind of a, a scattershoot of just parishes around that have connected with us. Um, one thing that's exciting to me that I see happening, though, is real kind of clusters of renewal where you see what was one parish now becoming five parishes in a region where people are gaining hope for what's possible and on a, a real journey of, you know, from maintenance to mission. Um, you know, it'd be dioceses. We did some um, diocesan events with dioceses like Cincinnati and St. Petersburg and Columbus and, uh, and just being able to um, connect in what, what God's already doing and hopefully be able to amplify what, what's happening there. So yeah, for me, it's, it's just this sense of like um, getting more clear of areas that we're really investing a lot of our resources and trying to help support um, renewal in just different pockets in different areas around the country. Now we're looking to always grow that, but it's just become clear, um, just some kind of hubs of renewal in the country and being able to come alongside them. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, this week, the podcast is focusing on love as it's the second week of Advent. And so I do wonder for you personally, Kurt, what is filling you with love this Advent season? Oh, yeah, I would, I mean, it has to be my family. Um, I've, I've actually been traveling more than I ever have. I, mean, I worked in a parish for 25 years and never traveled at all uh, being a family man. But now with this new role, I, I've been traveling a lot um, more than I probably would want to moving forward. But I've been gone a lot. But so as we move into Advent, I'll kind of be done with traveling and um, really excited to just be with my family. Um, that fills me with love. And in particular, I'll have um, two coming back from college that have been away. And my oldest, I have five, and my oldest just got engaged. And so that's like, wow, that's just so fun. We had an engagement party, just uh, just connecting with old friends and celebrating life and all that God's done, but all that God's doing. So um, yeah, I would say it just has to do with really reconnecting and spending quality time with my family. Yeah, I love it. So our guest today, as we move into the interview, is two people whom you know, which is Father Rich Roberge, the pastor of Christ the King Parish in New Hampshire, and our very own Angie uh, Glendenning. So what do you know about these two that are in are in your region and one of them's on your team? Yeah, um, so, you know, it, just to give some context once again, in the United States, Right now, we've connected with probably about 520 priests, you know, in some way in over the last couple of years. Um, we, we've coached about, uh, I think we're at 130 that have gone through coaching. Um, but there was a time early at the start of this movement, uh, Divine Renovation, where the, after the book was written, there was a first conference at St. Benedict that really was the launch point of um, DR as a, as a ministry separate from St. Benedict Parish. And uh, so it happened at the end of that very first conference that they said, you know, 
hey, for those parishes that want to journey together, let's learn from one another. We want to support you. We're going to create this new network of parishes. If you're interested, you know, apply here. Um, and, and so there were some steps to become a part of this newly formed Divine Renovation. And uh, at the time, there were about 20 parishes worldwide that were the first to kind of raise their hand and said, let's do this. I'm, I'm really excited. And, and so Father Rich and Christ the King Parish was one of those parishes. They were one of the very first from the very beginning who um, networked to become a part of this. And so um, I, I went and was able to visit once. And, you know, you can see some individual ministries or strategies, some things are doing well, but it wasn't that as much as like when you go there, the culture, I mean, I went to a leadership summit. I went to visit around their office and their staff and just got to meet their community. And uh, man, it's just palpable to see a healthy, thriving community. Um, somebody that's really embodying what, you know, we're all about being a missional parish. And so the work that Father Rich and, and Angie was his kind of key sidekick. Um, what they did there is incredible. And then Angie um, earlier this year came to work uh, full-time with Divine Renovation, but she's still involved with Christ the King and she's still on the leadership team and all that. So it's really cool. We love their work, what they're doing, and, and just thankful that they're a part of uh, a part of the DR family. Yeah, I'm so excited for all of our listeners to hear the interview with them. It's really, really powerful stuff. Uh, so thank you very much for helping us segue into that, giving us an update on what's going on in your region. And stay tuned, everyone, to the interview with Father Rich and Angie. Divine Renovation exists to inspire, connect, and equip priests and their parishes to go from maintenance to mission. For every Catholic parish to be a place where people can come and have their lives transformed by entering into relationship with Jesus. For more information about how your parish can move from maintenance to mission, go to divinerenovation.org. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today we have Father Rich Roberge and Angie Glendenning, and we are going to be talking about love. So, um, first of all, Father Rich, can you just tell us a bit about yourself and where your parish is located? Yes, uh, I'm a priest for 37 years. I'm located uh, right now at Christ the King Parish in Concord, New Hampshire, uh, which is in the southern part of the diocese. It's uh, the, the capital of the, the state of New Hampshire. Um, and uh, we are a, a merged parish. So we were three parishes that merged in 2011. Uh, so there was St. John the Evangelist, uh, Sacred Heart, and St. Peter. And we were all uh, within a mile. We were within a mile of each other. So one mile from one to the to the opposite, the, the furthest one, uh, St. Peter's. And uh, now we're in one location at... Uh, St. John the Evangelist, and our name has changed to Christ the King Parish. Uh, and we have about, uh, about 2,000 families uh, in, our, in our parish. Wow. Um, and how did you get connected to DR, Father? Well, we got to connected by first going to an amazing parish conference in Denver, Colorado in 2015 that Angie uh, taught me into. She had the time she was working as uh, a member of our parish staff 
and uh, she uh, she thought we should go to this, and and I, I agreed, but I said we need the money, and we had a, a, a donor who gave us the money so that we could go, a team of us go to the uh, conference. Uh, there we met Father James Mallon uh, and Father Tom White. Um, both of them had written books, and, and they were together on stage and explaining you know the, the main components of the, their renewal, uh, their respective renewals, and... Um, we decided to go uh, with divine renovation. So on the on the plane back, one of our one of our uh, team members uh, read read the whole book and then you know told us at our first meeting when we formed a leadership team, uh, we want to go with this, and we we all agreed, and that's how we started with uh, divine renovation. And then the following year in 2016, we went to the first conference, and shortly after that, um, we became a member of the it was a, a network that they had started at that time. Oh, wow. That's so early with DR's inception is the wrong word, but birth, uh, really, that you guys were joining up. And Ange, can you explain your journey? Because as Father Rich just mentioned, you are with this parish and also you are currently a DR staff member. So what what has your journey been? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we were, we were in the Divine Renovation Network uh, back when it was just starting. And we became, so we were coached by Divine Renovation for the last six years and continue to be coached actually by Divine Renovation. And through that process, um, there was just a natural transition at some point with my job here as Director of Parish Life and an opportunity that was opened up at Divine Renovation for a relationship guide. And um, I talked it over with Father Rich after I had applied, but <laughs> been given an interview. Um, so. We, um, yeah, I talked it over and decided this was an opportunity I didn't want to pass up. So um, having been the recipient of coaching for six years, I am now able to work with other pastors and parishes to connect them with that same gift that we've benefited from ourselves for the last six years. So, so my role as relationship guide for the U.S. is to connect priests and their parish staff and leaders with Divine Renovation resources. I love how in the trenches you are because you really experienced it and are are doing it, which I love so much. Um, so I had the chance to talk with Father Rich this summer. I say it as if we got to meet face-to-face -face and we didn't. It would have been great if we met face-to-face, -face, but I was streamed in and chatted with you a bit, Father Rich, um, ab about your parish. And that's why as soon as I knew that we were gonna share stories of love, I really wanted to be able to share some of the stories that you had told me at that time, because you talked a lot about um, the way that the parish being renewed wasn't about you centered, but the change that you saw in the empowerment of your parishioners and your and your team in terms of um, God's love being shown. So can you speak a little bit, I guess, to that just in terms of being on this journey of coaching and, and being on this uh, journey of, of parish renewal, what has it meant for you as a, a pastor in terms of your role or I guess like burden of what you do and, and what you can delegate? Um, it's been an exciting experience, to be very honest. Uh, I think we've been now at it for about six, six years. Um, and, uh, it, it's been exciting to see, uh, the change in, in, in the, uh, 
the attitude of our parishioners. You know, uh, I'd say that before we began uh, in earnest divine renovation, uh, we had a good parish, uh, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, brought together three parishes together. Uh, but uh, obviously there's always a little pain when we go, when someone loses their church building or their parish and are merged. Uh, and so, you know, there may have been, you know, a little bit of that angst that people were experiencing. Uh, but, um, you know, one of the, the one of the things that happened a few years ago is we did a major renovation of our church, you know, a physical renovation, <laughs> you know. And I tried to tie them together that we were doing a divine renovation, uh, you know, renovation of our spiritual life, but also of the building. Because now we had one building that we were all going to worship in and there were elements of all three parishes that would be part of that building, you know. The core was St. John Evangelist, but there'd be, uh, you know, different elements of Sacred Heart Church in there and also uh, St. Peter's. And to do that, we needed to vacate the building. And um, and we had some, some debate with, with the building committee, uh, what we should do. Should we rent some space somewhere else to have our liturgies? Because it was going to be about eight to nine months. Um, and, uh, and, and, and what could we do on campus? And we have a small parish center, but it would just have been really crazy, you know, to take it down, put it up, take it down. So we went with a tent. It was a high-end tent, but we put up a tent. And, uh, and we didn't really have any type of hospitality in the parish at the time. Uh, but uh, Angie met with uh, uh, several, several uh, individuals and, and couples that came together, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe about 15 or 18 people. And uh, she met with them, told them what we're trying to do. And uh, it was just amazing how uh, two couples stepped up and said, we'll take care of it. We'll, uh, we'll organize this. And uh, that, I think, was uh, sort of like the beginning of the, the real um, personal sacrifice of people uh, to, uh, to serve others in the worship space. Um, and they, they, I think they gave radical hospitality, um, you know, um, and it's, it touches my heart. <laughs> I'm gonna start to cry, you know, because it was just amazing. Uh, we had this big tent, uh, it had a wooden platform, it had an altar, it looked very, very churchy if you want. Uh, but but uh, we were concerned that if we had it off campus, if we had worship off campus, people wouldn't come back. And then we were concerned having a tent that some people may not feel comfortable going to the tent. So we really looked at it instead of a, a challenge, we looked at it as an opportunity. And our coach had told us, you know, look at it as an opportunity. And it was phenomenal how uh, people stepped up. And so these people who, who uh, I, I think they had probably about 30 35 uh, individuals that they were able to recruit, uh, you know, uh, to do hospitality. Um, and uh, we had a, a golf cart that went out into the parking lot and got some of the older parishioners, you know, closer to the tent. Uh, we had cold water, you know, already. We had a, someone donated a refrigerator. Uh, we had people uh, taking care of towels, cold towels for people who might be hot during the summer. Remember, this was during the summer months. Uh, and uh, and then they they just did radical things like uh, on some Sundays like the Fourth of July they had uh, little hot dogs that were wrapped in uh, in dough with a little flag on them another another weekend they had cupcakes they had bags of popcorn all these things would happen after mass people would distribute them and make them and and people would stay and fellowship and it was just it was just and and people started to it was really tight people had to really sit in tight you know in the tent and uh, people used start to saying, we like this, you know, so much so that when we, we finally in November 
just before Thanksgiving, we transitioned back into our church, even though it was not completely done, the majority of it was done. And I told him we cannot be in a tent before Thanksgiving. <laughs> we have to be in the church <laughs> because it's not getting cold in New Hampshire, you know. Um, People will be sitting close on purpose <laughs> to keep body body warmth. You'll keep everyone right. close. Well, well, during the, the summer, that was warmth. not a problem. It was pretty hot. <laughs> yes. And we had we had two little air conditioning units that really didn't work. So they were more of a, uh, a placebo, you know, make them feel like that it was cold, <laughs> you know. But these people who were hospitality for the tent transferred to the church. And it was remarkable because they even cooked it up another notch. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then COVID hit. And again, another notch. These people, uh, we started having reservations. And we had a person who stepped up and did all the renovation, the reservations on online. And people had a you know a particular pew and they got a little card when they walked in. And the amazing thing is even if people were wearing masks, the hospitality ministry, the people now had grown maybe about 40 people altogether. They actually got to know people's names. And as they came in the church, saying, you know, hi, George, or hi, Mary, hi, Sue, you know. And the people were really moved <coughs> by uh, this uh, personal uh, care. I love to, you know, we, we started this conversation saying we are going to be speaking about love today. And I love that then the first thing that we launched into is radical hospitality, because I don't know if that's the first thing that comes to people's minds when we think about loving through the church, right? Sometimes we think of something more rem distant and removed from the thing that we're already doing. But can you speak to um, how do people feel loved through a hospitality team? Like, how does that change their experience of being loved on? They're experiencing God more, um, more intensely when your community is hospitable and inviting and welcoming. I'll give you an example. I mean, very, I mean, talking about, I'm a person who's easy to cry, I think. Um, but this, this gentleman, this man, you know, came up to me probably about a month ago, he's from Massachusetts. Uh, and uh, he came to me at the end of Mass, I was outside and he says, Father, and he has tears in his eyes. He says, I've never felt so welcome in a Catholic church as I have here this weekend. And he had tears in his eyes, he says, I wish my parish could be this welcoming. I felt at home, I felt I was with my family at worship. Uh, and he said, you know, unfortunately my parish does not have that type of, you know, our greeters are, are, and he said, our greeters are more greeters of unhospitality, you know, they're very cliquish, they're very cliquish, and, and, he, and he described that he was just, he was sad, and he was also touched, and he said, I'm hoping to bring this back to my parish, you know, um, and, and so I think when we talk about love, we're not talking about some mushy, sentimental uh, feeling, uh, we're talking about a choice, and, and the, word, the word that's most used in scripture for love is agape, sacrificial love. And, um, and St. John says, and it's one of my favorite quotes in the first letter of John, says, um, God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God and God in them. And so when your hospitality ministers and your parishioners, you know, begin to recognize other people, you know, and, and, and welcome them and engage in them. They're engaging in the presence of God. They see God in other people, uh, and they themselves are a reflection of God. 
And I think that's what it's all about to be church. We're the body of Christ. Uh, and, and even when we think of the Trinity, uh, you know, we have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that are in a, in a relationship of love. Uh, and, you know, the whole idea of, of, of a family and relationship. Um, so we have to live uh, a Trinitarian uh, type of relationship where we see each other as uh, expressions of God's presence. So that's where I see hospitality connecting uh, with the virtue of love. And charity, another word, uh, you know, charity. Uh, it doesn't mean giving a donation. It's meaning truly sacrificial love, giving of ourselves for other people. That's true charity. So uh, if you take care of a, a person who's having a hard time walking and you assist them when they're coming into church or you you uh, offer them a wheelchair or um, someone is not feeling well and you give them water or you have them, you know, sit down, you uh, you know, that you, you care about finding them a seat in church when people push out, you know, from, you know, I, I made a joke with our parishioners recently, you know, that I was really pleased that I was seeing that there were being more and more hospital places. I actually see some of you push in to welcome someone into your pew. <laughs> you know how people get very possessive of their pew, their seat in church. That's charity. That's love. And Angie, could you speak to... um the group that you are assembled or, or asked to be part of that initial hospitality team, what did it do for them to be showing that love or sharing that love? Uh, we, first of all, they were naturally hospitable people. I mean, I think they were the right people for the job. So in a way, you know, the, one couple in particular that I'm thinking of, you know, they had been to Alpha um, and that had been what had reignited um, their engagement in the parish and so they had experienced that at Alpha and naturally rose up um, to serve in hospitality at Alpha before they then took on this challenge. But they, um, <laughs> it's not a really a direct answer to your question because I'm trying to think of, I mean, I, I just think that it's part of who they were. So, but what they did do that I think was elevated through this experience is lead. I mean, they led other people. And so they were the people that, they're not just hospitable to the parishioners coming in, they're hospitable to new volunteers. They were very eager to include people and their natural warmth attracted people. So they were able to attract people that, I mean, they were open to anybody coming in. They would recognize in somebody else a gift that we might not have seen because they didn't seem to be naturally hospitable, but these were the people that could bring this out in them. And so they really actually, not just be changing the culture to be more hospitable in the parish, um, they helped people invest in the parish. They helped people realize that they had gifts to share too. And they actually really embody, I think, what we talk about a lot in, you know, divine renovation about hospitality being a place where people can start to exercise their gifts of leadership at a very low level, low threshold. They were very open to that and bringing people in and helping them succeed so that um, they, from there, could branch into other places in the parish they might not have given thought to because they didn't think they had the gifts and the potential. I love that so much because it speaks to why we love. You know, um, Father Rich, feel free to tell me what what reference this is, but you know the verse about we love because he first loved us, which is somewhere in the New Testament. <laughs> um, That's but, what St. Paul would say. <laughs> and there we go. Thank you. 
But I think about that when you're talking about this hospitality team, because the reason we are able to show love is because Christ first showed it to us. And in the same way that you're saying that this, these hospitality leaders can, can see it in someone that it, it might just be starting in, but it's because they're receiving love that then they can turn around and give it. Like that it's not just something that we go, oh, well, I'm just, I'm just a more loving, wonderful human being. This is why I can love other people. But I do it because I'm loved first by God. And then I can't help but love other people because of how astounding that depth and, and getting that for free is. Why would you not share it when that's given so freely to us? Um, I think, I think, uh, yeah, go ahead. I, I think they were transformed. They, they were, they were hospital people, but they were transformed in the process. Uh, it, it was just not their, their natural ability, but I really believe grace took over. Um, and I'll, you know, example, uh, um, uh, Sandy, Sandy Adams and her, uh, her husband, uh, uh Brett, Brett Adams, uh, were one of the couples that, uh, um, uh, took over the, the hospitality, you know, and, uh, and I don't remember all the dates and all the thing, but, uh, in the process, uh, Brett got sick and he had a ALS. Um, and, uh, but that never stopped Sandy from continuing, you know, some people would have said, well, you know, Hey, I have my hands full at home and all that, but, and, and, and her husband still came until it was time that he couldn't, but she never stopped. Uh, and, and I think what they experienced, uh, her husband actually went through a conversion experience, a little before that and went through the RCA and became a Catholic. He was a very quiet guy when I first met him, but he became a little more uh, outgoing uh, and engaging. And it was just beautiful to see how uh, the community came around them. You know, those in hospitality ministry and beyond just became very, uh, they were concerned about her and concerned about Brett it was just amazing to see the love, the genuine love and concern uh, for her and her husband who was ill, you know. Um, to me, that's grace. You know, it, it was just a very deep, deep abiding love. And, uh, you know, we had the funeral and, and um, you know, when he passed away. And uh, she never stopped a beat. She, she continued being a hospitality minister you know, I mean, the, the week after, I mean, at the weekend after his funeral, she was in the foyer greeting people and welcoming people. She was immensely strong, but it just, it was not just human strength. It, it was real. You could see her, her joy. And even at the funeral, there was, it was sadness, but there was joy. And, and that joy, I think, comes from a, a, a uh, an authentic love. Yes of God and, and the love that they experience of God in other people. And what a beautiful picture you just painted of what welcoming someone in is actually welcoming them to. Like for her husband, he's ushered into heaven. But in a way, when someone is able to come in and encounter Christ, it's like the start of heaven in a way. Like I know that we're earthly and I'm not saying we're skipping a step. But, but that's really, you're not just saying like, hi, come in, we have snacks. We're saying like, hi, come in, be saved, be redeemed, be loved fully by the one who made you. Like there's such a depth to that, that why would we ever take for granted the act of taking someone's hand and pulling them inside? Like 
you know, what a what an honor that we get to do that. Um, what have you, in terms of, like, I love that you talked about transformation, because what have you seen in circles outside of just the hospitality team of, of love in your parish in terms of the ways in which your parishioners have been able to experience it and also share it with others? Um, yeah. Well, it's been a number. I think I shared some of these with you before, uh, but uh, one that just stands out in my mind is uh, Samantha. She was a, a woman, a young woman in her uh, 30s, young, early 30s, who uh, uh, is struggling with addiction and with mental illness. And uh, last year, uh, she appeared at Holy Thursday Mass. Um, I had met her maybe a month before she was sleeping in the one of the pews and she had spilt some of her alcohol on the floor and uh, I was locking up the door and I was, you know, I had to usher her to another place. So I, I brought her to a winter shelter um, because she was homeless. And, uh, and then she came back on Holy Thursday and had a little episode, but there are parishioners that instead of, you know, getting the usher say, okay, let's get her out of the church. You know, this is a, you know, this is not appropriate. They actually uh, came around her. Uh, one went to the ladies' room with her and, you know, helped her. And uh, others, there were a few people who are in medical profession uh, and uh, others who were uh, social work, who were parishioners. And, and they just surrounded her. The best way I can describe it, they surrounded her with love. Non-judgmental. And, uh, and it was just amazing. I mean, one of the parishioners who's a, a, a doctor, a midwife, uh, you know, Beth, uh, you know, at the end of Mass, she was in the back in a pew and she had Samantha's head on her lap and she was just stroking her hair and just like soothing her while the others were, you know, uh, you know, trying to address some of her needs, you know, uh, water, uh, clothing, you know, what is it? She need food, you know, uh, it ended up that, uh, that Beth, uh, whose, uh, husband is also a doctor. He, he, uh, he does, uh, research and stuff like that. And, uh, she brought, she brought, uh, Samantha home and her kids were there. One of them was home from college and, uh, the husband was not too crazy about this. <laughs> you know, he's not, he's not of the Catholic faith and he, and, but, but, you know, but he, you know, he's a good, he's a good guy, great guy, but he was not too crazy. But, um, you know, Beth tried to explain to him and he said, well, okay, tonight, but, but then finally he came around saying, okay, all right, you know, all right, if she needs to stay a few days and she ended up staying, I think almost a month. Um, uh, but, uh, in the short term, uh, she really helped her to, to get a little bit of sobriety, a few days of sobriety. And what she this, this, this young lady wanted is that she wanted to become a Catholic. She wanted to, to be baptized. And this is one of the things she's wanted all her life and never never did. And um, and then they came to me and said, well, is it possible for us to do it? Anyhow, we, we put her on a, like a, a, a warp speed catechesis, <laughs> you know, in a few days, you know, we, you know, I, I was able to say that she, you know, ascertained that she really was serious about her faith, that she wanted to have this faith. She wanted to have a religion with Jesus. And so, uh, uh, I forget exactly. It was after Easter. It was, I think, I don't know if it was Easter night or it was Easter the next day the next week or something. But anyhow, we, there were 30 people that showed up, you know, this was done really quickly. Uh, but we had her baptism and a confirmation in Eucharist. And uh, these people came and celebrated with her. I th I, I'm going to say about 30, I think, that, that about. And uh, 
uh, so much that one of them actually put together a little uh, uh, shutterfly, is that what they call it, or whatever it is, a little booklet with, with uh, the pictures of her baptism and the sacraments and, and put together a little booklet for her. Now, this does not solve all of her problems, but the interesting thing is that she came back this week. And uh, yesterday, uh, Sunday, which uh, uh, is yesterday, yesterday was Sunday, uh, I was putting something, I was putting some host back to the tabernacle at the end of mass. I had to go fix something. It was the last mass. And this woman was said, Father Rich, Father Rich, you know, and I, you know, I was like, you know, I just can't talk. I'm, I'm putting things in the, in the tabernacle. And I'm, I thought it was one of our choir members, you know, come and in my mind I'm saying, you know, please, would you leave me alone for a few minutes and let me do this, you know? <laughs> and then, so I put Jesus in the tabernacle and then I turn around and who's standing right in front of the altar, but Samantha. And I go down, I start speaking with her. And then I had this, This realization, as I'm standing in front of the altar, speaking to this woman, who was sober, but but mentally she's and she's waving, you know, talking to her with her hands, and she's talking about what she's experienced. She had gone to see her father for Thanksgiving in the North Country, had come from Massachusetts. She's telling me about her life. I just wanted to come back here, Father. You know, I I, I want to see you. I want to give you. She gave me a hug, and and I just sensed a profound presence of Jesus. A profound presence of Jesus in this woman. It, it, it's strange because the night before I was, I was just thinking, just, I wonder what ever happened to Samantha because she, she fell back into her addiction. She moved out of town. She, she, she did some traveling, you know, to Massachusetts and Maine. Uh, and here she was, the first Sunday of Advent. And so I, uh, she was looking for Beth. And uh, I called, I, I, I sent Beth a text, and she said, I said, you know what time she'll be there? And I said, I don't know. So, you know, she left. She's supposed to be coming back, then, you know, today sometime. But uh, her whole family, including her husband, came to the 11 o'clock mass. They were sitting up on the balcony. The whole family, you know, is like, you know, we want to go and see Beth. We want to go see uh, Samantha. Uh, it was, you know, it was just amazing. To me, that's... That's a manifestation of love, of care for a person, you know, uh, knowing that, you know, and then and Beth then uh, texts me later on. She says, you know, if you see her, you know, I'll come pick her up, you know, because I, it, it was pouring last night. You know, I didn't see her on campus, so I don't know where she went. Uh, but that's a radical experience of love to me. That's real charity. That's agape. That's sacrificial love, you know. We're going to bring you into our home. You know, you're homeless. Uh, you're an addict. Uh, you have mental illness, but we're not going to let that scare us. Yeah. Yes. There's something about the idea, and I speak out of this of my own, my own problems and and um, judgments. But this idea that we have to show up whole when we come, <laughs> as if. First of all, as if we could on our own, obviously we couldn't show up completely, you know, whole, but this idea of what your parish allowed for her and what she was brave enough to do was show up as she was, to show up truthfully and honestly as she was and, and then be loved on. And I don't know how often I am willing or brave enough to show up in all my brokenness and not in my masks when I show up 
to church? And then secondly, how much I'm willing to receive that love that honestly and that openly because it says I have need. I have to say I have need to accept that love, right? I can't just go like, actually, I'm totally all good. I took care of all my needs. And God, if you want to just top off the little the little extra, that'd be swell. Instead of I come here wounded and broken, please fill me. And so I love that there's both in that. There's her bravery to appear and there's the way in which um, this parish was safe and said, we see you and we take you and we love you because that's the love of Christ. Um, that's so like, yeah, that's so beautiful. I just want to say as far as like changing the culture of the parish, you know, we started with the hospitality ministry. And I think one of the ways that they do show love is that they, they address people by name if they know them. And that includes the homeless people that show up and they welcome them in their brokenness. I mean, God loves us just as we are. We don't have to dress up and, you know, and they, they try and show that same love to everybody who shows up here at the church. But that is a kernel that has blossomed through the rest of the parish. Beth is an extraordinary person. And what she did was extraordinary, but it was also a witness to everybody else in this parish that that's what God's love is. And I think for everybody that was trying, for, for those of us who were trying to learn to love like that, to see that witness in someone else in your parish, and then that just allows you to be that much braver, a little step forward, and that we're a part of a community that is accepting of that and encouraging of that in each other is, is beautiful. Because if in some places, I've been in some churches where if, you, if you're the one who goes and sits next to the homeless person and lets them hug you, Everybody else gets further away. You know, they, they sit a little further away because they don't want to be contaminated. But in this place, I feel like it's just, it's, it's turned around so that everybody's leaning in and trying to learn how to love better. And they're learning from each other. We're learning from those who are showing up brave enough to do so in their brokenness. I mean, we're learning all together. And from Father Rich, who is the leader of that. I mean, he's, he's a great witness to loving those who are not mainline, we'll say. I don't know how to say that, but. Well, we're not, the thing is, none of us are perfect. Not, you know, I'm not perfect at this. No one is perfect at this at all. You know, we're all struggling uh, because there's a, there's a uncomfortable feeling. You don't know, you don't know, you know, and you're always trying to evaluate, you know. Um, you know, we had a, we had a homeless man living on the porch here for the past six months and we finally got him into a hotel, you know, uh, but I felt strongly that we can't, uh, this guy's an elderly man and he has some health issues. And I said, you know, we just can't let him sleep in a tent in the woods. It was a dangerous place for this man. Um, the problem isn't solved. We're still trying to, you know, but you know, some of the staff members and volunteers are working with that person. And then another one, uh, Miles, uh, you know, had, you know, had a record, you know, had been in jail and stuff. And, uh, and some people, some people felt uncomfortable, but he was sleeping on the outside the ramp of the church, uh, last year. And, but he, uh, he experienced the love of my, my parishioners, my people, you know, that, that, that witnessed to me, you know, they, uh, I was locking the door one, one night, and I was all settled up, you know, with his sweet bag and his blankets and everything. And, uh, 
And then he popped his head out as I was going by. He said, hi, Father Rich. He says, and then, hi, I know Miles. And we talked a little bit. Then I walked to go to lock the door. He said, Father Rich, Father Rich. He said, watch this. You got some wonderful people. <laughs> you have some, some really good people in your parish. And then he told me that uh, they had brought him a, a tent and a sleeping bag, you know. Uh, they wanted to help, and, and, and they brought him some food, you know. And uh, uh, that really warmed my heart because these people were reaching out, you know, not just donating it to an agency that's going to take care of it, but they, these women, these two women actually went to see him and engaged, uh, you know. It's so easy to say, well, we want to help the homeless. We want to feed the hungry, you know, and it's, it's easy to make a donation let someone else do it. Uh, but it's another thing when you actually touch them, you know, touch the face of Jesus, you know, uh, touch the wounds of Christ uh, in, in our broken. And another thing that's happened is that uh, uh, some of our hospitality people have asked for some training on how, how to deal uh, with uh, people with mental illness and the homeless. And so we've had a couple little workshops with local authorities, with mental health center here in town, and also with the local sheriff's department. Um, so we've had two of them uh, this past year. Um, and we've had, you know, a, a number of people come just to learn some of the, you know, what they call, I guess it's uh, uh, mental health first aid, you know, how, how we how we should be interact with people with mental illness and uh, homelessness. Uh, but if we can do it with, with, with people like that, you know, who are really struggling or down really, really in pain, uh, we should be able to do it with our, you know, our regular parishioners <laughs> that I see every week, you know. And we're, we're starting to see that. We're starting to see that people are engaging with one another. There's a, a you know, uh, so love is, is, is uh, I think, tied in uh, to hospitality and to service, you know. Yes, yeah. It's that core thing of, like, parish renewal isn't about us just making our numbers rebound after COVID or about our numbers not declining. It, it's not what it's about. It's about the church being the church. It's about being the body, going out and being the hands and feet of Jesus, where we are loving on people and loving each other. And that that is also continues to grow us in our faith, because as much as these like these stories are so beautiful and touching, but it also speaks to the fact that they are hard. It is hard to do the uncomfortable thing. It is hard to be like, I don't know if this is actually how I should be helping this person right now. I don't, I don't know if I am fully equipped. And so there it's scary and uncomfortable. And I often think about how in church, like we are, we are constantly in the place of doing the thing that our societies are very bad at right now, which is living together living in community together and loving each other, even with differences and diversity and everything else. And when we are doing that, like that is renewal, is that we're coming alive again and then sharing that breath of life with others. That, I mean, why else would we want to be renewed? We don't want to be renewed to just be bigger. Like that sounds very corporate. <laughs> um, <laughs> not the goal. Um yeah, I love these stories so much. Uh, I don't want to rush you to the next question if there's anything else to speak on with this. So I just want to leave that open to either of you for a moment. I'm going to blow my nose. <laughs> I'll give you a second for that. That's the problem when you cry. I'm sorry. Hey, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? So uh, 
I do need to say this for the audio because I recognize that people aren't aren't able to see our faces right now and see what's happening. But I want to share a little bit because you might have heard in Father Rich's voice that his voice has cracked a bit and you might have heard that he's tearing up. But every single story that he's sharing, he's weeping. And I think that that is the image of love. And I think that that is the image of God shining through you because we serve and love and worship a God who weeps with us. Like we don't weep alone. This is not a God that's going, yeah, somebody go help that person and then go do this and then go do that. It's a God that is sitting next to Samantha, weeping with her in the pew and inviting his people to come and put her head on their lap because he already is. And so Father Rich, when I see you weep every time, it always catches my heart as well, but I think it's catching my heart because you're reflecting the image of our God that is always in that vulnerable state with us where he is hurting when we hurt and he is loving us without end. And so I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that you're a priest. I'm so grateful that you are the pastor of this parish and that you are offering that example. And like you said, Angie, you said like he also is part of changing this culture and sharing that this is the way we love. And frankly, it hurts. <laughs> like there is no way for us to love truly and fully without it, it affecting our hearts. Um, so as we are now in Advent, moving towards Christmas, I am wondering for each one of you, what is um, something that you are looking forward to most about this season? And second, what is a way that you are experiencing love in it? I don't have a, a personal answer to this, so I'm going to put, give you a parish answer to this right now, because we've, because our community is a merger of three and we were bigger for Christmas than the capacity of our church would allow, we've been, we've been worshiping offsite for Christmas. We've been actually renting out a local theater that has the capacity for our people. And it's been a wonderful experience. They've actually shown us great hospitality and it's been a, a great experience for us to all be in one space and to have the room that we need to be able to welcome anybody who walks through the door. So there were a lot of pluses to it. But this year, because of things beyond our control, we're not going to be able to go there for Christmas. So we're gonna be worshiping for Christmas mass here in our own church this year, which is correct, right? I'm not yep. So. So for me, there's actually, that's a, that's a really unique opportunity for us to learn how to be hospitable in a different way because there's not going to be enough room for everybody in the church. It's going to give us a, it's going to give us a unique challenge. Um, but I have so, I've just been continually amazed at how the people here uh, rise up to these challenges in a way that surprise us. Like we don't see a solution and yet they come up with something that was even better than just trying to put a Band-Aid on something. So um, so I am looking forward to seeing how we rise to that challenge as a parish and make it, I'm sure, what's going to be an even better experience than we expect. So one of the things that we are doing is that <clears throat> we are opening the parish center and we'll be able to fit a few hundred people in there. Um, and we're going to be asking, we've already started asking people, uh, would they be willing to go to the parish center 
so that the people who are uh, coming only for Christmas or people visiting relatives can experience, uh, you know, the, the liturgy in the church itself. So we have a large screen in the parish center, and we'll have Eucharistic ministers going there to give communion. So uh, I, I have confidence that many of our parishioners who are regulars will sacrifice their pew and go into the parish center. Um, but yeah, that's something that's happening on the parish level. And for me personally, uh, Advent is a reset. You know, it's the beginning of a new liturgical year. Uh, so it's an opportunity for me to, to stop, um, to press the button, and to stand back a little bit and to allow God to, uh, to uh, help me to, uh, to prepare myself, you know, for his coming. Uh, at the end of time, which is the whole idea of Advent, you know, we're waiting for him to come back in his majesty and glory. But we're also, as we get closer to Christmas, it'll be remembering and uh, commemorating and celebrating his first coming as a child. And, uh, and to me, that, that whole idea of love is, is uh, it, it just permeates everything when you think of the incarnation, that our God who is pure spirit and our God who is love becomes one of us, takes on our flesh, uh, born in poverty, you know. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, but he's he's born a little child in a manger uh, or in a cave or whatever, you know, uh, our uh, our imagination can go to that, you know, that time in history 2,000 years ago. It was not in a palace. It wasn't in a, you know, a, uh, uh, you know, a comfortable place. And, you know, that, you know, that his mother and his step, you know, his stepfather, his foster father, you know, uh, um, journey with him to a foreign country, you know, to be a refugee. Um, to me, that, that, should, that should ring bells in our Christian hearts, that we should become even more aware of how many people in our world right now are displaced, you know, because of the war in the Ukraine, uh, because of other countries where there's conflict uh, and uh, prejudice, uh, South America and Central America, Africa. I mean, uh, you look all around the world, there's all kinds of people migrating. And, uh, and the people who are well off are all up in arms. Oh, you know, uh, They're in their palaces <laughs> or their comfortable homes. Um, and, and, and I know that, you know, and you think of how the climate and the change of climate, you know, our Holy Father, you know, wrote his encyclical on the climate, you know, and some people were upset with our Holy Father because he's, he's speaking truth to all of us that the people who suffer the most in our wasteful society, you know, are the poor. You know, we want all our creature comforts and all that. And, and it's, it's, you know, all of that is all part to me of the mix of Advent to sit back and see what we have to experience of God. You know, Jesus came to be one of us so that we might become one with him. I mean, it's a, you know, it, it's just not nice words. There's truth to these words. And it's, it's how do we really embrace it? And how do we, in our uncomfortableness, readjust to be more Christ-like? It's a, it's a difficult, I think Advent's a, a difficult time. You know, there'll be all kinds of exchanging of gifts at Christmas for many people, but there'll be a lot of people who will be lonely, a lot of people who will be alone, who will be hungry, who will be homeless, who will be refugees, 
you know, in refugee camps and those who are, are still migrating, moving in uh, very uncomfortable places. Thank you both so much. I want to thank you, Father Rich, for what you've just shared about what it really means to love in the midst of a season that, yes, we're full of hope and love and joy and peace, but we're also, for many people, not there yet. And so the hope is that these things will come. It's that sense that we have while we prepare for Advent of the now and not yet. Um, and so I'm so grateful that you shared that. And thank you, Angie, so much for the way that you shared being, you know, in leadership in this parish before and um, a parishioner, as well as your journey now with DR as you share that with other parishes. That's so beautiful. Uh, before we leave, Father Rich, would you give us a, a prayer to send us out for all those that are listening and, and that are hoping for their parishes also to become places where Christ's love is shown? So this is a uh, Advent prayer by Henry Nouwen. Lord Jesus, master of both the light and the darkness, send your Holy Spirit upon our preparations for Christmas. We who have so much to do and seek quiet space to hear your voice each day. We who are anxious over many things look forward to your coming among us. We who are blessed in so many ways long for the complete joy of your kingdom. We whose hearts are heavy seek the joy of your presence. We are your people walking in darkness yet seeking the light. To you we say, come Lord Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. And to all of those listening, I hope that this has encouraged you and inspired you towards being a vessel of God's love in your own parish. Come back and listen to us next week as we leap off into joy. Thanks for joining us today. Tune in next week when we're going to be interviewing two of the sisters of the Sisters of Mary Morningstar in Lytton, England. You're not going to want to miss this conversation about joy and parish renewal. If you're looking for more information on how to take your parish from maintenance to mission, you're going to want to join us on December 8th for our next webinar called My Parish Isn't Missional, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. Join Father Gary Buckby, Maria Heath, and Divine Renovations' Matt Raggetts and Hannah Von Spruce for a conversation exploring the ways you can influence, lead, pray, and serve fruitfully in a parish that is not yet oriented to mission. Go to the website, click Connect, Events, at divinerenovation.org.